Greenwich Village. The neighborhood's gained quite a reputation over the years. First, as the home of the filthy rich, the Delanceys, the Brevorts, the Bayards, then as the sanctuary of the artist, the writer, from Homer and Twain to O'Neill and St. Vincent Millay, lately as the stomping ground of the Bohemian, the Beatnik, the Hippie, the... Oh, lest we forget, it is also the home of the one Stephen Strange, master of the mystic arts, and, tis his sanctum sanctorum, a mysterious hawk-cloaked figure watches so intently this night. My name is Conrad, and welcome to the ninth episode of Stranger by the Dozen, a weekly podcast where we'll recap the adventures of Dr. Stephen Strange, master of the mystic arts, 12 issues at a time. This week, we'll see the Defenders go to war with the Avengers, rematch with Zemnu the Titan, and spar stupendously with the Squadron Sinister. This week, I'm joined by my buddy Duncan. How's it going, man? It's going better than last time. It's just going to keep getting better. All right. (laughs) So just a reminder that you can find the show on iTunes, the Google Play Store, Stitcher, and on any fine podcast app. Give the show a five-star review, and I'll read the review on the air. Do you happen to have and any this, five-star reviews? In fact, this this time I do have a review. Wow, that's from, fortuitous. From Strange Stranger Strangest, and they title the review, My Favorite Podcast. Oh, that's sweet. Yeah, the Stranger by the Dozen podcast is incredible. It's so much fun and incredibly insightful. Also, it makes it easy for anyone to enjoy the history of Stephen Strange. On an unrelated note... And this is Conrad speaking. I just want to say that I think Duncan is extremely handsome, intelligent, and is the master of comedic timing. And he's easily in the top two guests that ever are on this podcast. That's that's an unrelated note, but I appreciate it all the same. Thank you so much, Conrad. Duncan, you monster. <laughs> but and Listen, everyone out there, you can make him say stupid stuff like I just did, or whoever this uh, noble and probably very attractive iTunes reviewer was. Anyway, (laughs) uh, before we get started on the recaps, there's a couple pieces of business I need to go through. The main one is that that I need to do some bonus extra recaps. Those are my favorite kind of recaps. Let's go. Yeah. Of two comics that come before this, but first I'd like to do a quick rundown of the two teams that will be making up the majority of this episode. So first we've got our guys, the Defenders. They currently have five members, uh, Namor, the, sub, the Submariner, and the superior version of Aquaman, with more abs and less fish-talking. Uh, the Silver Surfer, who flies around and shoots cosmic beams and feels bad about himself. Which is odd, because he's uh, so radical. Yeah, but, you know, sometimes the most radical also feel the worst, man. It's a paradox. Poor radical people. Mm. Then there's Valkyrie, the feminist femme fatale. She's super strong and great with a sword. Note that she's borrowing both the sword and her winged horse, Aragorn, from, the, from Dane Whitman, the Black Knight, who has currently been turned to stone. He ain't using him. Yeah, it's true. Then there's the Hulk. He's the Hulk. He's so different from the normal Hulk that we all know, though. So just fair warning on that. That's, this is, that is false. Um, this is classic Hulk. He's got purple pants. Well, we'll get to that in a second. He calls people dumb? I don't know. <laughs> Um, and then we've got our guy, Stephen Strange, who serves as the team leader. He shoots mystic beams and flies around, and that's it, basically. There's not a ton of crazy Doctor Strange stuff in this story. Well, there is, but it's not, like, in-depth Doctor Strange stuff. They find the time, but it's definitely, like, yeah. a shared spotlight. Yeah, and now 
An important thing to know is that he has recently become the full-fledged Sorcerer Supreme. But that's something we'll get into way more in later episodes. So on the other side, there's the Avengers. Boo! <laughs> what a band of jerks. Yeah. Uh, this is a pretty big Avengers team, especially in comparison to the last time we saw them um, two episodes ago in Avengers 61, where it was just three guys. But this version has a lot of characters you probably know from the movies. There's Captain America, Iron Man, Scarlet Witch, Vision, Black Panther, and Thor. Uh, those guys, if you think about their movie versions, you won't be like super duper wrong. They all have basically those powers. Scarlet Witch is like some hex blast, stuff like that. Yeah, the only real big difference is that like these heroes uh, still have like the wings on the sides of their helmets. Yeah, I mean they're the classic versions. They aren't the uh, they aren't the grim and gritty modern versions of their characters <laughs> or anything. Also, I believe uh, Captain America currently has some bonus super strength at the moment instead of just being like a really strong regular dude like he usually is. Oh, well, that's good. I'm glad that he got like extra powers. It happens sometimes, you know. <laughs> he, he he's on and off with extra strip powers. <laughs> But so the uh, there but there's two other characters in this Avengers team. Uh, there's Mantis, who is a martial arts lady with a ridiculously complex backstory that it's better not to get into here. Um, it involves uh, the Kree aliens and the fate of the entire universe. She's um, from Vietnam and has kind of a weird stereotypical way of speaking, like she refers to herself as this one and stuff. And she is currently in love with and dating uh, the Swordsman, who is a reformed villain with a righteous mustache and a sword that shoots beams. Uh, he's basically like Hawkeye with a sword, I guess. He looks really cool, though. He, he's got like a whole shark motif going on. Like, Absolutely. Yeah, he's got whole... a big head, head fin and stuff. Yeah. Oh, I should also mention, uh, speaking of Hawkeye, that Hawkeye is in this story, and Hawkeye is a terrible person. Yeah, but he makes up for it by having the best costume Hawkeye's ever had. It's a classic purple costume, yeah. absolutely. It's so dumb, but like it just works so well. <laughs> so okay, so let me get to the bonus recaps here. So first up is Avengers 115 from September 1973. Uh, the Avengers haven't heard from their buddy the Black Knight in a long time. And as we'll recall from last episode, he's been turned to stone by the Enchantress's kiss and is currently standing like a statue in a... Dr. Strange's foyer at the Sanctum Sanctorum. And Dr. Strange also sealed the Black Knight's castle so nobody could get into it while the Black Knight was uh, turned to stone. So the Avengers arrive and they find the castle magically sealed and they're suspicious. And then after dealing with a race of troglodytes living under the Black Knight's castle, which is complicated, uh, the Avengers decide to talk to Dr. Strange about this whole situation. And then we smash cut. And I have to do a bonus, bonus recap where... <laughs> it's a flashback in a flashback. It's true. To uh, Thor 207 from July 1972. And in that one, Thor fought Loki and blinded Loki by uh, shooting lightning in his face. And Loki escaped by jumping off a cliff. And when he jumped off the cliff, he got teleported to your standard kind of trippy magic uh, planetscape where we find out he was rescued by the Dread Dormammu. And Dormammu has a plan, but he needs Loki's help. He's going to assemble a magic item called the Evil Eye and use it to suck Earth into the Dark Dimension so he can conquer it without breaking his oath to never invade Earth. Yeah, he's really working hard to uh, not break a promise while still sort of getting his way. 
Yeah, well, we found out actually in a previous episode that if he tries to invade Earth, then Earth like rises up against him. Like it's his promise is legally binding. It's not just like him not wanting to lie. Yeah, he should have crossed his fingers behind his back. That always works. You know, these superhero, these supervillains can't plan ahead that much. It's a, it's a challenge. Everything's sort of just loosey goosey with them. <laughs> but so the eye is split into six pieces, and hey, Dormammu knows just the six people to find it for them. The defenders. Wait a minute, aren't there five defenders? Whatever. Uh, they'll trick the defenders into getting the pieces, and then Dormammu will return Loki's sight. All right? Sure. Bet. Yeah. We, we're, we're on it. <laughs> they spit in their hands, and they shake. Yeah, or the evil guy equivalent of it, I guess. Loki misses when he tries to spit in his hand, though, because, as we mentioned, he's blind. That's sad, bro. <laughs> he just kind of spits on his shoe, and Dormammu didn't oh. want to mention it. Jeez. So, next... Well, let's quickly do a Defenders number seven. Uh, Doctor Strange isn't in this issue because he's busy fighting Shumagorath, so it's not a main um, issue. And the action starts with uh, the Hulk and Hawkeye, uh, the jerk bowman, fighting. And they're fighting because Hulk said he was going to go hang out with Doctor Strange. And Hawkeye was like, hey, that doesn't make sense. Why are you going to go see Doctor Strange? i got to stop you. And it's like, one, it's none of your beeswax, Hawkeye. And two, don't hassle the Hulk. But anyhow, the Defenders show up, and after an impassioned speech by Namor about how the Defenders are totally not a real team, they head over to Doctor Strange's house for milk and cookies or something. And while they're there, a messenger from Atlantis arrives. It's cool, he's in, like, he's in the standard, like, incognito trench coat and fedora, but he's also got this big glass globe over his head that's full of water so he can breathe on the surface. Oh, right. I saw that thing. That thing looks so weird. <laughs> it's, it's ridiculous. Yeah. But so Atuma, Namor's big enemy, is on the march. He's got an army and is invading the surface. Oh, no. I just so, I want to say about Atuma, his, he's yeah. got a helmet that looks like if you made uh, a model of the Predator's face out of rock, and then you decided the last second to give it, like, bunny ears. So just kind of have that mental <laughs> image. Yeah. yeah. He's got an awesome Jack Kirby helmet, basically. <laughs> So Namor heads out, along with Valkyrie, a reluctant Hawkeye, and the Hulk, who's basically going because he wants to show up Hawkeye. He, like, calls Hawkeye Stickman. He's like, if Stickman can go, then Hulk will go, too. Yeah, it's a real on the sort Atlantic... of, like, Legolas Gimli thing. Yeah, absolutely. So there's a big fight on the Atlantic City boardwalk, but Namor gets taken out by a double dolphin strike and is captured. That's really unfortunate for him, by the way. Like, that's part of his whole scene. It's... He's getting shown, he's getting beaten by water guys, which is tough. Yeah. So Valkyrie and Hawkeye surrender because Namor's been taken prisoner, and the Hulk, instead of surrendering, just like pieces out. Yeah, he just leaves because he doesn't want to be kidnapped. It's so good. He's like, yeah. all right, well, I'm done with this. I'll see you guys later. And they're they just said, sitting there like, wait, yeah. Hulk, please come back. And it was like, nah, forget him. <laughs> it's, yeah, no one thinks when they're in that situation to just sort of jump to the horizon. Yeah. But that's what the Hulk does. It, so, note. Um, if you're ever about to get kidnapped, just kind of like walk away. Also, this is not legally binding. It's a joke. Yeah, don't. Well, I mean, if you have super strength, I don't know. It's a different. Yeah. It's a different okay. set of uh, concerns. So, to the Hulk out there listening to our our Stephen Strange podcast, I'm glad you're expanding your horizons. And also, no one can kidnap you. Yeah, he just wants to know about the adventures of dumb magician. You know, <laughs> who doesn't though? Yeah. So. That, so, Namor, Valkyrie, and Hawkeye are all taken to Atuma's base, and it turns out that Atuma has teamed up with the Red Ghost. 
Oh, you who mean, is a fantastic four villain mostly. You mean, what? You mean Ivan Kragoff. Okay, man. I don't know about this Red Ghost guy. <laughs> well, no. I know a couple things. One, I know he's a dirty commie. Two, he can turn intangible or into mist. And three, he usually has a gang of mind-controlled apes. But now he's branched off into sea life, including the Submariner. <laughs> yeah. And uh, special number four note, sometimes he dresses up like Santa Claus. What? Yeah, I check it out. There's pictures of the Red Ghost online. Everyone, you got some homework assignment. He will occasionally dress up like Santa Claus. He's one of two Santa imposters in this podcast episode. That's shocking. <laughs> but so the issue ends with the ghost sicking a mind-controlled Namor on Valkyrie and Hawkeye. And Duncan, take it from there. So we kick it off first with Dynamic Defenders issue 8, If Atlantis Should Fall. Englehart author, Sal Bushima, artist, Frank McLaughlin, inker. Charlotte Jetter and P. Goldberg as letterer and colorist, and Roy Thomas as the eternal editor. Yeah. So we leap into these pages just like Richard Tyler leaps into pages in the Page Master. And I know that I'm only allowed one Page Master reference per episode, so I'm just getting it out of the way now. Uh, and yeah, one at one at most, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> And uh, it's very similar to the way that Submariner leaps furiously towards the Valkyrie and Hawkeye. As, as you'll remember, he is mind-controlled by the Red Ghost. Hawkeye does this overly complex trick shot with his uh, bow and arrow, because that's like his claim to fame. So that Yeah, I, I should mention that um, his actual bow and arrow has been taken from him, and his current bow and arrow is made out of stuff that he found lying around in like his and Valkyrie's prison cell. It looks really, really good, though. So I'm not going to like say that he's... Got any anything but what he needs for this fight. Yeah, and, no, he made a he made he made, he made an, an exceptional product. Yeah, he's doing fine. And with this makeshift bow and arrow, he knocks a vase or a vase onto the head of the Red Ghost, trying to break the main the mind control that he has over Namor. But it doesn't work because, as it turns out, the power of the Red Ghost is drawn from the cosmic rays itself. And so the only way that he could shut it down would be break or turn off the cosmic space rays. So that's not yeah. happening, at least not by Hawkeye. Yeah, that would be impossible. Yeah, it really, I don't even know how you would be able to accomplish something like that. Mm. And I got to just kind of say, Hawkeye, maybe you should have just shot Ivan with your arrow instead of doing some fancy trick. But I know that's that's your one deal, so I'll let you have it. Yeah, Hawkeye's got a Hawkeye, bro. Yeah, seriously. On another note, I'm pretty sure that the Red Ghost is like subscribing to like villainous Tiger Beat or something because he wakes up Hawkeye just so that he can explain his evil scheme to him. And during the whole monologue, introduces me to a character called the Unicorn. And he, yeah, man, this guy is so disappointing. He is in green and orange, and there's nothing Unicorn-like about him except he's got like a little silhouette of a unicorn's head on his chest. And you just know the artist is like, put that in last second when he realized like, wait, who am I drawing? Ah, crud. And then, so if you, if you look at the, so the unicorn has a full face orange helmet. Yeah. And if you look on the top of it, you can see a little like black circle on his forehead. Yeah. I know he shoots like, that's where he shoots the beam that makes him called the unicorn. It doesn't make any sense though. He should be called, like monoclops or something like that but i guess Listen, that there would be like, confusing he's a soviet superhero man they can only do so much i blame uh khrushchev they can you know they could at least get his color scheme somewhat right but 
No. Anyways, so how Valkyrie and Hawkeye are getting mind controlled, and, and then we just star wipe over to Stephen Strange, who's been summoning the Defenders in his quest to revive the Black Knight. Yeah, he's all powered who, up from becoming Sorcerer Supreme, so he can do something with the Black Knight. About time. And uh, so Silver Surfer, Surfer and Hawkeye are the only ones who show up, and Strange is like Silver is Surfer he, and the Hulk. Oh yeah, I'm sorry. Silver Surfer and the Hulk are the only ones who show up. And Strange is, like, really worried. He, he's saying, like, oh, I can't sense them in anywhere on Earth, anywhere in the entire known universe, in any dimension or anything like that. And the Silver Surfer is just like, hey, give them some space, all right? They have their own thing that they're doing. You are acting really clingy. But Hulk makes some comment about knowing where they were, and then he gets really angsty, and he's, like, about to storm off when the Silver Surfer puts Hulk in a chokehold, and that allows Stephen Strange now put Hulk in a trance. And, yeah, he mind whammies him. Yeah. <laughs> and I also got to say that I feel like Marvel is like going through a tough time with the comics that they're selling because like every other panel has little asterisks that references like an older comic and they're just, they're selling it super hard. And the reason why I bring that up is because in, in these panels where they're like putting the Hulk into submission, there's an asterisk mm -hmm. next to something that Steven St or the Silver Surfer says, and it doesn't lead to anything else on the entire page. And it's like, it messed me up so bad, man. I'm like looking over this entire, <laughs> this entire trying to find where Marvel's got some sort of like Pavlovian control over me yeah. where every time I see an asterisk, I'm like compelled to buy a Marvel comic. And now I don't know which one to buy. And then it's just like, oh man, I'm, I'm in a bad way right now. I believe it's uh, Defenders 6. Sure. Wait. Just tell me what no, to buy, and I will buy it. Defenders 4, I think. That's the one where um, where the Black Knight is turned to stone. Oh, you're right. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the Hulk now becomes the mode for just dropping all of this narration on everybody. Yeah. and it's, it's an expositional mind whammy. Yeah, it is. And it's really weird to see it coming from the Hulk, just to have him like dropping all of this monologue and... and trying to talk in his Hulk way, he doesn't come across like, like a furious beast. He just sounds like a dude who doesn't know what pronouns are. Um, so with that, Stephen Strange puts the Hulk to sleep and then he hops on Silver Surfer's board and the two race off to Atlantis where... Yeah, it's a sweet, uh, strange surfer duo. Yeah, I think anyone on that surfboard looks cool, but Stephen Strange has like a cloak and it just really like adds to the effect. It's nice. Yeah. So... Meanwhile, at Atlantis, Atuma and the Red Ghost are using their mind-controlled superheroes and marine biology to wage war on the fellow sea folk. And something really cool happens when, when this is going on, because you see all the superheroes, like, fighting, and they show Valkyrie just, like, cutting merfuls down. Yeah. And it's so awesome. They even say, like, Valkyrie, to whose strength water is no harder to cleave than air. And that's, like, really tangible for me, and I am just super impressed by that. Um, yeah, I like how uh, she like swings her sword and like this big stream of like bubbles comes behind it. Yeah, and stuff. That's a good. That, that's a good touch. It's it's really rad and it does a good job like displaying her strength. Yeah. So on top of that, Valkyrie is the only one who's able to break free from the mind control. It only lasts like a second, but because of that, Strange is able to detect her and he's also able to hear from her that like they need to turn off the cosmic radiation. Yeah, it's weird because so like. I don't know if, you know, for, or sorry, as you know from last episode, Duncan, the thing about Valkyrie is that Valkyrie's like a personality that's been grafted on to the brain of like crazy cultist Barbara Norris. Mm -hmm. Like Valkyrie isn't any, in any way related to Barbara Norris. 
Barbara Norris is basically being possessed by the Valkyrie right now. It makes everything oh. about the Valkyrie way complicated and confusing. It's like they made such a weird choice when they did this. Like they could have just been like, okay, I'll hit you with this Valkyrie ability, but then Barbara is there and she's also the Valkyrie or something. But instead it's like, nope, Barbara's just in there being crazy and the Valkyrie's grafted on top. But so it means that when the uh, mind control sort of interfaces with that like demonic possession, basically, <laughs> it just drives her like straight up crazy. Yeah. And there's all these cool like she sees the monster. She sees the Atlantean defenders as this like Picasso painting of like crazy cubist art and stuff. Yeah. Everything's sort of like melting away. In, in yeah. the frame and it's it's really well done and it's works even better in contrast to like all of the other art that's very um grounded yeah it's very like because the main art is is very uh real like comic book realistic basically yeah <laughs> <laughs> it makes the impressionist stuff very very noticeable and interesting definitely uh so as we were saying Stephen Strange and Silver Surfer find out that the cosmic radiation is powering the red ghost's mind control and yeah. so they just fly. Well, there's only space. one thing to do. This is okay. This is I understand now why other people back in the day were like talking about this team being overpowered because they just fly in the space and they do a couple laps around the globe and they turn off cosmic radiation. Yeah, they block the entire Earth from uh, cosmic radiation, which I feel like that that would have some more noticeable effects other than just breaking people from a mind control. But I'm no physicist, yeah. so. I mean, the big thing it does, yes, is completely depower uh, the Red Ghost. Like, he was in his mist form, and he just turns into a dude, and everyone's <laughs> like, back hey. Earth. And everyone's like, hey, like, we aren't mind-controlled by you anymore. All the fish fly, all the fish swim away and stuff. Yeah, so on episode 10 of A Stranger by the Dozen, you should ask Neil deGrasse Tyson, you know, why this, this happened and, and what it would uh, cause. Absolutely. I think well, one big explanation that I've heard is that um, around at this point, like the Fantastic Four is into their hundreds of episodes and, or issues. And in the early Fantastic Four, people were just kind of developing powers like crazy, like sort of, you know, like the knock everybody gives Superman is that he just kind of makes up powers as he goes along. Yeah, what's the thing like he he gains a new power every like three seconds? Well, I mean, that was in... Uh, that was an all-star Superman, which was a specific Superman story. Even, like, even regular Superman can just kind of make up something if it really needs to. Yeah. Like, I've got my freeze breath or my x-ray vision can also pop popcorn or something like that. But, <laughs> and then freeze the popcorn. Right. But the Fantastic Four were, um, especially early Fantastic Four, were, had kind of a similar thing where, like, the ability, uh, like Johnny Storm being made out of flame, let him do a lot of kind of crazy stuff that you wouldn't expect would be actually possible thanks to someone being made of fire, you know? Yeah. But that sort of cools out and stops happening, you know, around now, like sort of in the mid-70s or so of the Fantastic Four run. And there's a popular fan theory that says that the Fantastic Four's powers stopped evolving because of this action by Doctor Strange and, and Silver Surfer. Well, the I Fantastic think Four it's are also powered by cosmic rays, you know? Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Oh, you're saying it's in canon. You're not saying that like they they pulled it back a little. Because... I'm saying this is a this is a fan canon of, of 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 why this happens. Let's roll with that. I think that adds a lot more uh, value to the Fantastic Four, and they need it. Um, oh, 
damn. I'm just saying. Next, next episode, we're going to actually, like the next episode of this podcast, we're actually going to have a really huge piece of fan canon that I think everyone's going to appreciate, but I don't want to, I don't want to talk about it right now. No, I'm looking forward to it. I don't even know what it could be. But, but so, oh yeah. Hey man, the, uh, the red ghost is beaten. Yeah. So the red ghost, uh, turns into a normal dude, falls to the ground. Every, all the heroes take turns beating him up and all the fish go back to looking for their lost children. And <laughs> Namor, I need to call this out cause it's amazing. Uh, Namor delivers the single mightiest punch in the history of time to Atuma. He's got this crazy dynamic pose where he's, he's almost to his side and his entire body has like followed through with his fist. And he even, he realizes it himself because the pose is so dramatic. And he just says, when a man feels every ounce of power at his command, riding on his fist and that fist connects with his mortal foe, that is vengeance as it is complete. So I guess this story arc is like officially wrapped up. Nice little package. And the comic realizes it too, because now we're on to part two of this comic, which is actually chapter one, Deception. And yeah. Everyone is back at Strange's man cave, and the Hulk is pouting because he was forced to take a nap. Valkyrie is torn up, probably because she's got a crazy person living inside her, but also because she's got some irrational love for the Black Knight. And yeah. there's a, she's hella crushing on the Black Knight. Yeah, and she doesn't even like want to be. No, nah, she hates dudes. Yeah, she's a crazy women's lib feminist. I think twenty years from now she she'd be called a feminazi, but that term doesn't exist yet. Right, because there were no Nazis about at this time. I mean, at least no Rush Limbaugh's. <laughs> um, Wait, maybe there were, actually, because he'd be... But I don't want to get into it. <laughs> uh, the third thing I wanted to call out is they reference a comic at the bottom of one of the panels called Dared Evil, and it sounds really cool. So uh, I'm going to try and check that out. And Strange is using his orb of Agamotto to send telepathic telegrams through the cosmos, where the Black Knight's consciousness has been trapped uh, ever since his medusification. And, oh, yep. Conrad, you want to know what another name for this space message could be called? It's what? A, it's a real mental note. Huh? Huh? Yeah. That's a side Man, victory. you're lucky I don't have uh, recaps for half of these podcasts ready, Duncan, or I'd kick you off this podcast. I am banking on it. <laughs> uh, so, the Black Knight replies to Stephen Strange's space letter, and he's like, yeah, I'm doing fine. It's just boring. All right, I'll see you guys soon. And the reply... I don't really have anything that can help you, but, you know, I would like to be rescued. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, like... I'm fine here, but I'm also not intending to live here. So whenever you right. get around to it, that would be cool. But <laughs> his reply is intercepted by Dormammu and Loki because, oh, beans. And They're ready for it. Yeah, this is part of their master plan. And so they just change the message. And they, when it gets back to Stephen Strange, it includes a note saying that he needs to uh, recover the evil eye in order to rescue the Black Knight. And Strange... To his knowledge, believes the evil eye was destroyed in an explosion, but it doesn't matter because they will do anything if it means rescuing the Black Knight. And we'll see that happen in Conrad's issue right now. The chase for the evil eye is on in Avengers 116 from October 1973. Um, so all these issues have multiple chapters in them, which is sort of an old school style of comic book writing where they'd split each thing into, into a chapter. There'd be multiple chapters in an issue. Each one has a title. I'm not going to do all the titles. I don't think we should do all the titles for each comic, just because it seems kind of redundant. So I'll just say, that, you know, this is Avengers 116. Steve Englehart is the writer. Bob Brown is the artist. Mike Esposito is the inker. John Costanza, letterer. Petra Goldberg, colorist. 
Patrick Goldberg's this, busy. They're on. It seems like like colorists and letterers really get around. Like they they do a bunch of issues at once. Yeah, for sure. It just seems that also like the Defenders and the Avengers have their own set of people working on them. And to an extent, they they like all these. This whole thing is written by Steve Englehart, but. Sal Buscema does the art for the Defenders, and Bob Brown does it for um, Avengers for the most part. Yeah. Anywho, please continue. Sure. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> so this issue starts with the Avengers getting blasted back by the front door of the Sanctum Sanctorum's, by, by the Sanctum Sanctorum's magical defenses. Uh, this happens twice, this issue, and it's always pretty funny because they all just go, they all just go completely, like, ass over tea kettle, basically. <laughs> but, uh... So first they they get blasted back by the front door, then they knock again, and Wong is like, the master cannot see you, get lost. And they're like, nah, man, we're breaking in. And they beat up Wong, and then the magical defenses kick them out again. And I don't appreciate the Wong beating up, I gotta say. Yeah, he really doesn't need it, and it doesn't make anyone look either strong or, like, righteous. I mean, like, Wong's been trained in the martial arts, but he's not at superhero level in the martial arts, you know? Right. But while they're inside the house, they do manage to get a peek at the defenders having the meeting that's at the end of the last issue of the defenders that Duncan talked about. And they see the black Knight statue, but are then blown out of the sanctum sanctorum again. They can't catch on. Yeah. They're basically like, all right, like your magic has beaten us and you're a jerk. We're going to go back to the Avengers mansion. Like, at least a raptor and checks different parts of the fence. <laughs> no, well, I mean, they've been blown out twice. It's just like, why keep doing it? Yeah. So they go back to the Avengers clubhouse to plan their next move. Also planning their next move are the Defenders. So first they recap the history of the evil eye. It was the focus of an uh, early Fantastic Four story from issue uh, 54 from September 1966. Basically... The Fantastic Four found this powerful item. The the evil eye was being held by Prester John, the sole survivor of the Wizard Isle of Avalon, who had been asleep for 700 years, but then awakened by the Human Torch and his buddy Wyatt Wingfoot. And the Torch gaffled the, the evil eye because he was going to use it to try to blow open the door, the doorway to heaven where the where the Inhumans live because he wanted to see his girlfriend, Crystal. But before he could do that, the evil eye's energy was building up and it was about to explode. And instead, it was left to explode the force of an atomic bomb over the African desert. And when it did that, it split into six separate parts. And it's weird because the six separate parts look exactly like the main one and are the, main, and are the same size of it and stuff. The, uh, the, the evil eye, by the way, looks like a purple flashlight slash like plunger yeah and and also the the six pieces they just look like little red cooking funnels that are yeah, like matryoshka I, dolls or matryoshka-esque <laughs> i guess they fit well, into I mean, each other i mean but they're all the, the, the they are all the same size it's not like they're all one different size the big one's big they it it's split into six identical parts which is right. it's like it's like if you cut me in half and there were six conrads that were all conradized yeah it's weird <laughs> i mean that's the power but of so people. Yeah, absolutely. So these parts are scattered around the world to six key locations to Osaka, Japan, Rurutu, French Polynesia, Sucre, Bolivia, Monterey, Mexico, Los Angeles, California, and Fort Wayne, Indiana. The plan is simple. 
The team will split up to get the pieces. Silver Surfer will go to Rurutu, Namor to Osaka, Valkyrie will give Hawkeye a lift to Monterey and then go to Sucre herself on Aragorn the Winged Horse. The Hulk will jump to Los Angeles. And then when the first uh, member of the team comes back, the Do- Doctor Strange will go to Indiana. And until then, he'll study up on using the evil eye. Which Meanwhile, is going to pay him uh, dividends. I mean, it's good to train with the evil, to train with the thing before it starts, you know? Right. So meanwhile, in Floating Rock space, Loki's starting to doubt that Dormammu's actually going to restore his sight, and he kind of realizes that Dormammu, when Dormammu conquers Earth, he could probably conquer Asgard as well pretty easily. And that's like, Loki only wants Loki to conquer Asgard, nobody else. Which I get, but I also feel like that in doing this is really just kind of dooming his own chance for uh, recovering his vision. You know, he, he just is is working against the only person who's trying or made a promise to try and help him. Yeah, but I bet he could find a way. I mean, you got to remember that he hasn't actually talked to very many people since he lost his vision. As soon as he escaped, he was caught by Dormammu. Yeah, fair enough. But so Loki decides to throw a monkey wrench into... Yeah, Loki decides to throw a monkey wrench into Dormammu's plan. He quickly sneaks down and to the Avengers' mansion and tells the super team that the Defenders are after the evil eye. And then he spins the various team members as being either really mysterious and unknowable, like Doctor Strange and the Silver Surfer, or as actual villains at some point, like the like Valkyrie, Hulk, and Namor, or as betraying betrayers who can't be trusted, like Hawkeye. And he basically says that these guys have turned rogue. They're finding the evil eye to conquer the earth. You guys got to stop them. He really wasn't lying about Hawkeye, though. I mean, Hawkeye is a colossal jerk to the point of being hazardly. And he's not lying about he's not lying about any of them, which is the key. I mean, the Hulk is yeah. often a bad guy in comics. Namor has invaded the surface several times and will continue to do so. And the last time that the Avengers met met Valkyrie, it was. The Valkyrie was the Enchantress, like, playing a trick on them, basically. Oh, yeah. So I guess this is the one time Loki's decided to be honest. Well, he's lying by telling the truth, which is the most dastardly way to lie, Duncan. <laughs> it shows that he's a true master of his craft. Yeah. I mean, you know, gotta lie. You'd hope he'd be decent at it, I guess. <laughs> but so the Avengers are like, we gotta stop these Defender jerks. And so they pile into their Quinjets, and it's time to go. So... Vision and Scarlet Witch will go to Rurutu, Captain America will go to Osaka, Iron Man to Monterey, Swordsman to Sucre, Thor to L.A., Mantis and Black Panther to Fort Wayne. And I'll just note that it's interesting how uh, Valkyrie can go on her own, but the ladies of the Avengers need chaperones. I'm just saying. But let's do it! <laughs> so from here on out, it's basically a series of fights. It's the best. It's, it's literally like... A wrestling match. It's true. They set it up, and then we see them knock them down. And you've got, like, title cards, and you've got, like, opening matches with, with, like, less than important characters. Yeah, leading up to the main event. Yeah. So, first up, we've got Silver Surfer versus the Vision and the Scarlet Witch. So, Silver Surfer shows up first, and Rutu is this, like, you know, Polynesian island, or Micronesian, something like... It's in the South Pacific, there's a big volcano, there's natives... Uh, the natives see the Silver Surfer flying around and start to worship him, and the Silver Surfer is not pleased about that. And eventually he decides that the only place where the evil eye could be is in the big volcano on the island. Duh. So he flies into the lava in the volcano and starts, like, rooting around, basically. 
And as he does this, it causes the volcano to erupt. And when the volcano erupts, the eruption hits the Quinjet that the Scarlet Witch is flying, which causes the ship to be destroyed and, like, Scarlet Witch to be knocked out. They blame the... I mean, yes, the Silver Surfer was pretty much the one who caused the volcano to explode with his actions, but for the Avengers to just call that is a little ridiculous, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, Vision basically goes super berserker at this point, and the two of them just start fighting like crazy, and they're both immune to lava, so they just have this fist and beam fight in the heart of this volcano, basically. It's amazing. And it causes the volcano to erupt even more, and the natives that have been worshipping the Silver Surfer see the lava coming down, and they're like, we need to sacrifice to appease the gods. They put Wanda, the, the Scarlet Witch, in the way of the lava, which is ridiculous. Yeah, there's so, so many problems with... And so, yeah, and so the lava's about to hit the Scarlet Witch, and then the evil eye appears, and so Silver Surfer grabs the eye, and the Vision goes to save the Scarlet Witch... And the Silver Surfer doesn't know what is going on. He's like, I was just looking for this eye. And then the Vision attacked me and there was this lava. I got this eye. I'm out of here. This is very weird. And meanwhile, the Vision is like, these defenders are out for blood. They're trying to kill us all. Yeah. And if he truly believes it. He's a defender trying to destroy them. Yeah. He turned that volcano on. That, that monster. Yeah. And so now the defender. So, so now the, the Avengers are super angry. And Silver Surfer's like, what is going on, dude? I don't even know. But the Avengers Defenders War is on. And now the score stands at Defenders 1, Avengers 0. Duncan, you're next. Yeah. So we continue this battle in Dynamic Defenders Issue 9, Divide and Conquer, with authors Steve Englehart, artist Saul Buscema, inker Frank McLaughlin, Artie Semek and P. Goldberg as the letterer and colorist, and again, Roy Thomas as the eternal editor. <laughs> so we meet up with Strange, and he's just hanging out in his apartment, staring, some would say longingly, at the Black Knight statue, when Silver Surfer just bursts in through the window and tells Strange about like the recent battle with Scarlet Witch and the Vision. And for the audience, there's a whole panel that's just devoid of art, that's a, just an info dump recapping everything that's happened about the double and triple crossing that's been going on by Dormammu and Loki. <laughs> There's a lot going on right now. Yeah, so Strange hears this and he's like, ah, dip, I gotta help. And so he just bolts out of his mansion and flies off to go collect a piece of the evil eye while sending out a message to everyone that Loki has pretty much tricked the Avengers into thinking that they are, that the Defenders are evil, which is... You know, it's helpful. Um, well, wait, I think it's, it's, it's not that. He thinks that Loki is controlling their minds. Oh, you're right. And that the Avengers are evil. Because he, he sees Loki, Loki's headless, or, sorry. He sees, like, Loki's spirit just basically floating infesting around. the Avengers' mansion. It's just, a, mansion. It's just Loki's head flying around the, uh, an empty house. Yeah. Um, and then he also notes that among them is the swordsman, who is an internationally known criminal. Oh, right. They haven't heard about him turning face. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there are, there are two episodes of Monday Night Raw behind, so they don't know. Um, <laughs> so. And so, so, he, so now both the Avengers and the Defenders think the other team is, like, spe specifically evil. Like, neither one of them thinks there's some kind of misunderstanding. Both of them thinks the other one 
is up to no good and can't be reasoned with, basically. Right, but the difference being that our heroes, the Defenders, have, like, evidence of Loki's existence in the mansion, whereas the Avengers just kind of took the word of someone who's been historically a villain. Yeah, I mean, you know. So, <laughs> you know, it's absolutely true. I'm not, I'm in favor of the Defenders. I'm just saying, I'm just trying to set the story. Definitely. <laughs> I just need to make sure that they understand who we're rooting for still. Obviously. Obviously the Defenders, guys. Exactly. Come on. Way better. Uh, speaking of the Defenders, so Stephen Strange lets everybody know about his recent discovery, and he flies off, and he just kind of ditches Surfer to be on statue guarding duty. And we yeah. star wipe to Valkyrie and Hawkeye, who are flying into Mexico on their Pegasus. And it's causing all sorts of locals to swear off drinking, at, at least until dark. Because yeah, nunca bebere tequilas antes de la noche otra vez. <laughs> exactly, that's what I said. <laughs> so Hawkeye's just left in Mexico, and he's just sitting there reflecting about how much he loves babes when all of a sudden Iron Man flies overhead. Now, before Iron Man notices Hawkeye, Hawkeye fires a arrow that's got like an eagle claw on the end and it snatches the piece of the evil eye right out from Iron Man's hands. Yeah, Iron Man goes and to, like, a, a university oh yeah, professor to, like to get the piece of the evil eye. He gets it super easy. Yeah, so the reason why I kind of glossed over that was just because sometimes how they find the piece of the evil eye makes sense, like buried in a volcano or, you know, discovered by some architects who work at a college or something like that. What a yeah. sense. But then there are other times that are just... Kind of lazy, and I will. I'll definitely call that out for sure. <laughs> oh, you also also before that, I just want to mention that um, when Valkyrie drops off Hawkeye in uh, Mexico, like Hawkeye totally just like grabs her and like slips her the tongue. Yeah, because she's talking like about without how she likes... any kind of consent or anything. Yeah, it's really really awful. He's he's talking about or Valkyrie's talking about how she longs for action, and he's like, oh, I like action, and he thinks that. I guess he probably doesn't even think that's okay. He just kind of does it, and it's really bad. And he is just painted so terribly, and the comic kind of doesn't make any like qualms with his action. So yeah, no, it's just it's just very like, hey, it's 1973. Just so everybody remembers, you know. Right. But anyhow, so now fight. we finally get the superhero <laughs> fight where Hawkeye's doing yeah. his thing where he shoots weird arrows, and Iron Man's doing his thing where he shoots laser blasts. And then mm -hmm. Hawkeye just runs up and slams an acid arrow into the face of Iron Man, which, Hawkeye, <laughs> you need to chill out right now. You know your bro is being manipulated, and you could seriously kill him with this stuff. On, and as though that's, like, not enough, Iron Man's, like, about to shoot a laser blast, and Hawkeye hits his hand with an, another arrow, which causes Iron Man's blast tear through a building, and a bunch of rando civilians are now in danger. Now, being a superhero, Iron Man goes to save them, but Hawkeye just dips out. Like Yeah, it's real it's real good. <laughs> so, so Hawkeye, I guess, wins. Put another point on the scoreboard for him because he got the evil eye and he escaped. But man, you are the worst. It's real bad. Yeah, I'm gonna take I mean, your super costume and give it to Namor or something. <laughs> well, I mean in I'll, let me try to defend Hawkeye a little bit, a guy I don't like. Um, one with the acid thing is that Hawkeye and Iron Man have actually fought a lot in the past. Like, Hawkeye was originally a, a, an Iron Man villain in, like, the 60s. Oh, no way? 
like in this in this issue they have another one of those asterisks and it refers to like the day they first met in Tales of Suspense uh, number 57 which is from September 1964 and in that one like Clint Barton Hawkeye is a uh, a circus performer that does like archery stuff in the circus sure and he's like, screw this, man. I am going to become a bank robber or whatever and use my archery abilities to help me with that. And then Iron Man stops him. Like, they fought a bunch of times when Hawkeye was a villain. Okay, that's crazy. Uh, yeah. I did not and realize so, that. And so, and so I'm saying that, to, just to say that, he knows that, like, he can hit Iron Man with his acid arrow and it will probably just incapacitate him for a while instead of, like, kill him. Now, using the arrow to hit Iron Man's hand to destroy the building and then peacing out while Iron Man saves the normal people being hit by the collateral damage. Yeah, he's a jerk. Yeah, like, he's a bad guy. Really bad move on his part. And I mean, he was a superhero, one of the first superheroes I was ever introduced to. Yeah, man. I mean, you know, sometimes your fave is problematic. That's just sort of the answer, you know? Yeah, I guess. Sad. <laughs> so let's move on. Um, yeah. But... Really, though, this the final note, between the violence and the misogyny, Hawkeye is not looking super great, right? Yeah. I'm, I'm glad he's not a, a permanent addition to the team, I gotta say. Yeah, me too, now. <laughs> Anywho, moving on, we're on to the title card for the this comic. It's Strange versus the Black Panther and Mantis. And Strange, <laughs> right away, he goes to, like, Idaho, I think, and he's flying over... A, Indiana, Indiana. Yeah. Apologies, no, everyone I'm from just, both of those yeah. states. Oh, Jesus. Um... <laughs> Well, they don't like being confused with one another. Fair enough. So he's flying over a cornfield, and he's using his magical powers, and he's just able to make the piece of the evil eye start glowing. Yep. Which is really easy for him, and he just flies in, swoops down, picks up the piece, and flies off without any confrontation. Psych! Turns out Mantis and Black Panther have been wandering that cornfield for hours aimlessly, (laughs) and then they're alerted to the piece of the evil eye because it starts glowing, and they find Stephen Strange and they start to chase him down and they like turn a corner in the cornfield and they just see these three elderly people waiting for a bus and Mantis just goes into a blind fury and she starts beating up this old lady completely unprovoked and she straight kicks her under a bus uh, and double psych turns out that that old lady uh, is able to retaliate by shooting energy beams and she's nice. Stephen Strange the entire time and I have, <laughs> I have now double fooled your entire audience. <laughs> So T'Challa, the Black Panther, he calls upon his panther-like abilities to jump. He just yeah. scales a grain silo and tackles Stephen Strange midair. And it's almost like a reaction. Stephen Strange just shoots out a blast from his eye of Agamotto and then immediately realizes what he did as the yeah. unconscious Black Panther just plummets to the earth. So Strange is now racing after the Black Panther. He's like barely able to catch him. And Black Panther comes to, and he expresses his gratitude by kicking Strange square in the mouth. Yep, that's how you do it. <laughs> yeah, uh, there's also, so now they're battling, and there's also a scene where this, like, curmudgeonly old farmer comes out with a shotgun. But really, the rest of the whole fight, even with Black Man, is so short-lived. Stephen Strange just recites this magical poem in the exalted name of the eternal Vishanti and other gods beyond and below. Let the strength and cunning of these, my enemies, from their mortal body flow. And, you know, I could just spend the next two hours, like, dissecting this part alone. It doesn't feel like an earned victory. Mantis and Black Panther are just like, oh, we're too weak now. We lose. 
Oh, yeah, sorry. I just want to say that they're, they're super outclassed by Doctor Strange. He's way better than these guys. He literally just turns off anything that they could do. And yeah. on top of that, like, the poem mentions that he drains their strength and cunning. So, like, are they less intelligent now? Are they permanently weaker now? This is, I, think it's, I, th- I think it's just temporary. You know. I'll give him the benefit of the doubt, but this is, like, almost too invasive for the Stephen Stranger <laughs> poem to know we've come to love and fear. Like... I don't know, man. Like, a lot of times he just totally brainwashes people. So, like, I think that they remember who, that they remembering who they are and being able to return <laughs> to the Avengers Mansion as superpowers is a, a fair amount of restraint from Doctor Strange. Yeah. Yeah. That is definitely. And yeah. with that uh, very easy victory, I will now figuratively tag you back in, Conrad, to carry the metaphor. Oh. Oh, I just want to I just want to call out uh, the funniest part of this issue, oh, please, which is so there's a bunch of like yokels waiting for the bus and Mantis and Black Panther show up and like introduce themselves. Mm-hmm. And this one dude hears the Black Panther's name and is like, Bubba Black Panther. Oh, right. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Yeah. And it's like it's like pretty funny just in terms of like what that name means and all that stuff. Yeah. And I was thinking about that. It's so interesting that they would. Well, I guess it's not really interesting for Marvel that they would borrow wholesale I mean, when from they, history. When they named the character, the like my understanding is that when they named the character, the Black Panther Party had just like started, and there was no way to know that it would become an actual like big deal. It was just one name among many that Stan Lee thought was like an interesting name to call a character. They had no idea that it would become this historically significant group. I guess. And so it's just a, it's an interesting sort of like accident of history or something. like that. Okay, I thought that that was just them kind of like banking off of the the organization. Now, because Black Panther was created in like 1963 or, or 64 or something like that, it's it's pretty early. Okay, in terms of when um, these characters came out versus when the gr- when the political group was founded and stuff. Okay, that's interesting to know. Yeah. All right, but cool. Let's go to Avengers 117 from November 1973. Steve Englehart, author, Bob Brown, artist, Mike Esposito, inker, June Braverman, letterer, Petra Goldberg, colorist. So Dormammu has learned that the Avengers are fighting the Defenders, and he is pissed. <laughs> he, luckily, he doesn't suspect that Loki ha- is behind it, however. And then he basically spends like two pages berating Loki for being blind and useless. Now I kind of understand why he's uh, going against Dormammu. I mean, Dormammu's a bad boss, you know? He's a, he's a supervillain. He's like a demon-based supervillain. Yeah, he should really go undercover and see, see what his work is causing others to do. My name's Chet. Just ignore the fiery head. <laughs> uh, this is my first day. I thought Firehead was okay. <laughs> undercover, demonic supervillain. <laughs> When he banishes anyway, someone to eternal hell at the break room, that things will be kind of up. It's true. But so now we go to Swordsman vs. Valkyrie. We're in the jungles of Bolivia. And in the jungles of Bolivia is a crazy full-size German castle. Hopefully it's not in use anymore. I mean, I don't know. The swordsman who's flying the, his Quinjet in sort of assumes it must have been built by some Nazi that like fled with Nazi gold. Mm-hmm. And then decided to build a giant castle because that's not ostentatious. <laughs> but as he's coming in for a landing, Valkyrie streaks in on Aragorn the Pegasus 
and just straight up destroys the jet. She is causing... the best. She is so cool, even for the convoluted sort of origin story. As a character, they just are, are so willing to let her be amazing. She's really like, she kind of just jumps out and does all this action stuff. And it's a, it's, it's a real contrast, I think, especially like Scarlet Witch in the earlier one, where she was literally just sort of a damsel in distress, you know? Yeah, laying in front of a volcano. Yeah, like yeah, like literally to be saved from from lava after being threatened by villagers and stuff. Yeah, but so swordsman barely barely lands the uh, his his Quinjet and he meets with the owner of the castle and gets a tour confirming that it was in fact built by Nazis. And then the two of them find Val in a hidden treasure room with hella gold and jewels. At which point the Valkyrie and swordsman have a awesome like sword fight basically. They go all up and down all the stairs of this castle, and they jump off big tapestries and stuff. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, these these comics where they match up these two heroes have they've really pulled out all the stops, and they've gotten some really good matchups for people like this one like, especially. Just sort of this one especially, where it's sort of two sword guys sort of sorting around and stuff is a very good fight. Yeah, they they knew what they were doing when they set this all up, and it just pays dividends. Yeah. So eventually, they make their way to another like treasure room. And they find the, the piece of the evil eye and everything seems good. But then the owner of the castle is like, hey, you guys don't mess with my treasure. And he totally shoots the Black Knight in the back. And the Black Knight shoots, hit, like stabs him to death in turn. You mean the swordsman? But, yeah, I'm sorry. The swordsman turn, shoots the uh, owner of the castle to, um, to death in turn. Yeah, I mean, it's only fair, even and, though that they are intruding on his property. Yeah, but, you know, you don't got to be a jerk about it. <laughs> so the swordsman has been shot, but he'll he'll live. And the authorities are showing up because a jet and a winged horse just flew to this castle. And they don't like the castle owner anyway. So the cops are like, we, we're, we're going to rouse this guy. Yeah, they've been looking for a reason anyways. Yeah. So, so Valkyrie basically says, like, hey, the cops are going to take care of you. Uh, I've got I've to go bring this evil eye back. Peace out. And she flies away. So now we're... Three and three. The defenders are looking to just. Uh, do... Defenders are four. Are four and. Oh, oh. you're right. They're just going to do a clean sweep on this one. It's almost <laughs> because now we go to uh, Japan and Captain America versus Namor. Probably the most important of all of the fights. It's true, and it starts out really rough because the people of Japan are not stoked about Captain America. <laughs> I wonder why. <laughs> they like call him an imperialist he's being picketed and stuff it's crazy and captain america is trying to explain like listen like my name's captain america but i'm just here to plunder one of your magical artifacts <laughs> i'm not here as a representative of my government yeah it's so i mean between the actions and his costume his words just sort of fall on deaf ears yeah and and namor shows up with the evil eye and it's basically like hey captain america you suck let's fight <laughs> i could have left but i i Realize this is way cooler. Yeah. So because Captain because Captain America now has super strength too, the two of them just have a knockdown dragout fight, like all through the streets of uh, Japan. It's a good super strength fight actually because they use a lot of terrain and stuff. They like they rip big signs off of walls and hit people and hit each other with them and stuff. That is always good. That's another one of the the perks to having a superhero fight is that they can sort of up the stakes. I just appreciate when people use the environment, you know? Yeah. Um, and, like, Cap and like Namor tries to jump in the water where he gets his power, and Captain America is like, no, I've seen this trick before. 
and he and he frisbees his shield so that the shield like skims across the water and when Namor tries to dive into it he hits the shield instead of the water it's pretty solid I just kind of realized in fighting ter- or in wrestling terms this is like a no DQ match and so they're using like trash cans and whatever they can find chairs ladders yeah totally and like in a no DQ match there's outside interference from a third party oh dip yeah, as Sunfire, who is a mutant hero, he's got fire powers. Oh, okay. Uh, sh- uh, flies in and grabs the evil eye, and is like, "Hey, jerks! <laughs> I don't really appreciate you two foreign invaders like wrecking up the wrecking up Osaka for this stolen magical artifacts." Really, like, why don't you guys side stop? with him on that one? He makes seriously good points. <laughs> but Captain America and Namor keep fighting, and it sort of goes bad. And it kind of shifts to a fight between Namor and Sunfire and stuff. But through it all, the two of them, Namor and Captain America, fight and they start talking to each other as well. And sort of saying that, like, hey, like, you're being a jerk. No, you're being a jerk. And they end up sort of explaining that Namor finally explains, like, no, we're trying to uh, de-stone the Black Knight in Captain America's like, hey, well, we're trying to help the Black Knight, too. But, like, Loki said that you guys were bad. And Namor's like, screw that. You guys, you guys suck. I'm getting out of here. <laughs> Namor's a people person, basically. Yeah, this dude, he does uh, like a heel turn every other comic book, I swear. I mean, he's a, he's a heel while he's a face, you know? <laughs> he's not a good guy. Yeah. But in the end, um, the two of them decide to stop fighting. And instead, they will try to meet peacefully and actually talk things out like, an adu- like adults. Boo! Yeah, Keep fighting! Boring. <laughs> but it looks like we're moving towards the next phase of this war. So it's currently uh, Defenders 4, Avengers 0, talking this out like adults 1. Ooh. Yeah, but there's one more fight, Duncan. Oh my gosh, this is the best. It's all been building towards this. Uh, Dynamic Defenders issue 10, Breakthrough, The Incredible Hulk versus The Mighty Thor. Yeah. Yeah. Steve Englehart, author, Sal Buscema, artist, Frank Boyle, inker, T. Ors, and P. Goldberg, uh, letterer and colorist, and Roy Thomas, the editor. Oh, yeah. This comic is pretty much what everyone thinks of. Like, if you don't like comics and you think about what a comic is, this is the exact representation of what that is. So we started off, and Hulk is just, like, calmly strolling up to this fountain, which I think they say it's the nicest fountain in the nicest area of the nicest town in the nicest state of blah, blah, blah. So yeah. he just walks up to this fountain. Everyone around him is in a blind terror, though. They are fleeing yeah. madly. Cars are crashing and careening into one another. Um, yeah, the Hulk's like this terrible monster guy that just, like, rips buildings apart. You don't want to hang out when the Hulk's around. Yeah, the Hulk really kind of feels like um, based on Frankenstein. He, yeah. He lumbers slowly. He's big and green. He's terrifying. And I bet he probably would get along with children somewhat where, well, ah, uh, <laughs> crud. Everyone, I meant Frankenstein's monster. Get off my back. Nah, nah. You haven't late. seen the version I, you haven't read the version of the book I have where at the end of the book, Frankenstein says, it's okay if you call me Frankenstein <laughs> instead of just Frankenstein's monster. I don't mind. Yeah. He truly gave up his own personality for all of us. <laughs> So he goes up to this fountain and he just starts digging in the concrete for the piece of the e- the evil eye. It's not even buried that deep. 
he he Mm-mm. pulls up like one slab and it's just right there and that's what i was talking about like who is burying these things like i get if it's in a cornfield or if it's like some ancient like site in in mexico mm-hmm. but just under it was someone like accidentally dropped it in some wet cement yeah no i think that's what it was like they just sort of scattered themselves automatically you know yeah for sure so hulk gets the piece of the evil eye and hulk starts congratulating hulk self for a job well hulk when thor just shows up thor tries to reason with hulk but it doesn't work at all and it's not like it doesn't even seem like Thor does like a bad job. It's just like Thor's charisma skill is is more than adequate, but Hulk's intelligence skill is so low that negotiation just doesn't work, which we should yeah. all be wicked grateful for because we just saw two people talk it out and it was anticlimactic. So these yeah. two start fighting and it's it's what you wanted in any comic ever. So Hulk and Thor are bl- trading blows. At one point, Hulk pulls Thor's cape so hard that it causes Thor to like spin violently into the ground. And he just like bursts out a couple seconds later. <laughs> he like, he like spins like a top and it actually burrows into the sidewalk. Yeah, It's so great. Then Hulk starts to deadlift a car and Thor throws the Mjolnir through it. Uh, quick side note, I spelled Mjolnir right on my first try. So everyone, if you want to send me an email congratulating me, I totally accept it. It's just, oh my gosh. earned. I literally just call it the Uru Hammer because that's what I call it <laughs> in these comics a lot of times. Yeah. Because some dude in like nineteen in like nineteen six or because because Jack Kirby in nineteen sixty three couldn't find a book where Mon, where whatever it is is was spelled out, so he just <laughs> made up a term. Oh man, I've got one thing on Jack Kirby, and I feel so good about it. I just want to also say that like the best part of this fight for me, besides the actual fight, mm-hmm. is right before it starts. They show three people. They show three groups reacting oh, yes, to the fight about so to start. Good. And so the first picture is like a cop on a call box calling for reinforcements. The second one is a bunch of like city dwellers sort of hiding behind a wall Terrifying. in awe of what's about to happen. And the third one is these two kids rooting on like Thor and the Hulk being like, come on, man, do it to him. Yeah, they're making bets. They don't even care. Everyone is like cowering in fear and these two children are gambling. Like, Get down on him, Thor. <laughs> do it to him, green skin. It's so good. <laughs> so yeah Hulk tries to deadlift a car Thor throws the Mjolnir through it and Hulk tries to catch it but it actually just pins into the ground I know yeah. in later comics they established that Hulk can pick it up pick up the Mjolnir but this oh is way, way before then I guess yeah well you know he's, he, he gets stronger as time goes by Fair that's, enough. The, he, that, that, that's what they don't he say he gets a lot madder too so I guess there's related so <laughs> they are just battling until it gets to this one point where they just sort of they try and punch each other and at the same time they catch their opponent's wrist and they're just locked yeah. and they're standing on this rubble and just grimacing at each other trying to break the lock that they have and just sweating and there's a full page image of the two like it, in Mortal Kombat and it just they're just lo- they're they're locked in Mortal Kombat for like an hour yeah it, says. it lasts for an entire hour also the there's the single panel that I was talking about is really cool but it's kind of cheapened a little bit because at the bottom they try and like whoever's in charge tries to tell you to buy two comics so you can like cut one up and frame it. <laughs> yes, yeah. I'm not doing that. Okay, like I'll just take care of my one comic book and appreciate it for what it is. It's true. So yeah, Conrad's not lying. They straight up say that these two are locked in this struggle for over an hour, 
which you have to think that after a certain point, like people are just going to go about their day and like ignore these two because it's going to yeah, get like, boring. In the end, I have like a roast in the oven. I, I got to get back to it. Yeah, I got a job to do. I got to get to the office, even if they're standing <laughs> a, on top of its decrepit rubble. So, I mean, yeah, in a world of superheroes, you have to get used to this kind of thing. You know? <laughs> yeah, you just walk around them. They're going to be there all day. And uh, they would be if it weren't for the Avengers and the Defenders showing up simultaneous. So, as you know, Captain Namor in America. Well, <laughs> Namor, Captain America and Namor? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> totally. Uh, they have worked everything out. And there's even a, a part where the Avengers show up to the Defenders HQ, which is still just Stephen Strange's apartment. Yeah. I mean, man, I feel like he his apartment is like three quarters of the building or something like that. I don't know how it works. Yeah. Honestly, if I was going to go anywhere, I wouldn't want to go anywhere except for Stephen Strange's apartment. His loft looks rad as heck. Yeah, man. He's got a big library, a lot of braziers <laughs> and gargoyles and stuff. Yeah, for sure. Actually, a lot of plants, too. A lot of a lot of potted plants. I know. More you than know, you think. He's got, who, I'm assuming Wong is busy, like, watering the plants all day. It's part Absolutely. of his training. Definitely. <laughs> yeah, but there's a cool, like, as much as the um, the Thor and Hulk, like, smashing into each other, like, full-page picture is cool. I like the other the other full page picture of this comic, which is just the other members of the Avengers and the Defenders like standing around Doctor Strange's um, like libraries, just sort of having like a dinner party. Yeah, they're just like hashing it out and, and working through their differences. And that, that's something yeah. I needed to talk about because everyone is so quick to be like, "Oh yeah, we were tricked. I get it. I'm sorry. You no, know, you're cool. I like your costume." Except for Hulk. Or except for Hawkeye, Hawkeye is wholly committed to being a jerk. He's talking about how he likes everyone better when they were villains, which is like, dude, I just learned apparently you were a bad guy, so maybe you should just go back to that because that's your true calling. <laughs> He's bad, man. Hawkeye's no good. <laughs> yeah, so they show up and they explain to Hulk and Thor, and Hulk begrudgingly hands over his piece of the evil eye to Doctor Strange, which doesn't make any sense because he, he was going to have to give it to Strange one way or the other. Anyways, yeah, but whatever. And oh, Hulk gets so mad at this that he has to give up his evil eye. He's throwing such a tantrum that he like punches the the street underneath him. And there's this hilarious shot of all of these civilians just being rocketed into the sky as the road just blows out from beneath them. He destroys like the entire boulevard, yeah, basically an entire block. He's bad at sharing. <laughs> so, That's now see, while while the Hawkeye being a bad guy kind of makes me angry, Hulk being a bad guy just makes me laugh because he's so ridiculous he's about it. it he's like so entertaining with everything he does, whereas Hawkeye is annoying or dangerous. Yeah. Um, so yeah, Strange is so desensitized to Hulk's outburst, though he doesn't even care. He's just like fiddling with the evil eye. Uh, he doesn't even remark on it. No, no, he's paying no attention. It's happening in the background, and he's just on the ground like setting up these pieces. When all of a sudden one of Dormammu's like servants, Asti, shows up. Yeah. Oh yeah. Down. This thing is I want to say weird, but it's really just lazy. It's a superhero mask with a beak, and it just yep. flies in, eats up all of these little pieces of like red silk, like plunger flashlights. Yeah, little plungers. He eats them all up, flies into the sky, and goes through a rift. And the superheroes try and chase after him, but they can't. And then Dormammu's flaming head. Just excuse me, Dormammu's flaming head just appears in the sky, and he is just sort of 
belted at with all the cries from the superheroes that they're going to beat up Dormammu and they promise. Yeah, the world's full of demons too. It's awesome. Yeah, it's really, really cool. As soon as Dormammu gets the pieces, all of the buildings start to like melt and the fabric of reality reshapes and all of the humans start transforming into these monsters and everything's covered with like Nickelodeon brand slime. It's <laughs> great. I mean, it's a major bummer for everyone else, but for us, it's totally rad. Yeah, that's all that matters. Right? We're like... We're reading the comic Yeah, book. they're all strangers. Who cares about them? And, like, it's 1973, man. It's the 40 years ago, strangers. Exactly. And uh, with that, we wrap up that comic, so I will hand it off again. Yeah, to the finale. <laughs> Avengers 118 from December 1973. To the death. <laughs> There's some great, like, the whole, t- all the teams unite. Both teams united and like being angry pictures in this comic. It's awesome. It's what this whole thing's been building towards, and it's it's a win win because you get the fights with all your favorite superheroes fighting your favorite superheroes, and then they team yeah. up, and you're like, oh, this is the greatest. I mean, it's the basic superhero team up formula, right? You spend the first half fighting each other, and then the second half fighting wh- whoever the bad guy is. Basic as it may be, it still works so well. I mean, there's a reason why it's been used for like 70 years, yeah, you know? Definitely. But so to the death, Steve Englehart, author, Bob Brown, artist, Mike Esposito, and Frank Giacoa Inkers, or Giacosia Inkers, Tom Orzakowski, letterer, George Russo's colorist. So demons are attacking everywhere. Insanity reigns. <laughs> and only the combined Avengers and Defenders can attack it. I love the art for the demons in this thing. Yeah. They just, they, the whole city has just become this hellscape of fire and buildings flying everywhere. And there's crazy demons all over the place. And all the demons are like these different combinations of animals and stuff. They're ve- it's, it's really boss. This is really sort of what you subscribe to when you become a fan of Steve Chino. It's, it's yeah. really crazy art and weird locations and cool monsters. And, and this is the probably the comic out of this entire series that feels the most like a Stephen Strange comic. Yeah, it's super, it's super cool. And so as these guys are fighting and there's demons everywhere, hey, our old buddies from S.H.I.E.L.D. show up. Oh, finally. I missed them so much. Yeah, there's Nick Fury, Contessa Valentina, Allegro de Fontaine, and Dum Dum Duggan. And they basically let us know that the entire world is under demon attack. It's hard to tell and, otherwise. Well, I mean, it might, otherwise we might just think it's from... Just, it's like just in Los Angeles or something, <laughs> but it's in fact the entire world, basically. Yeah. And Doctor Strange says, all right, uh, you hold them off here, Nick Fury. I'll take the Avengers and the Defenders and we'll teleport to fight Dormammu. And he teleports them to the, the, to the floating rock dimension that Dormammu and Loki have been in. And they're sort of walking on this enchanted walkway and they have to stick to it. No one can fly. It's very like... Follow, we have to follow these rules because we're in Magic Town now. <laughs> Even though it's Magic Town. Exactly. Or, well, you know, keep going, but just follow the rules, <laughs> Jack. It's, it, it's Magic Town. Uh, meanwhile, Dormammu's in super villain overconfidence mode. So he's like, screw you, Loki. I don't need you anymore. And he locks Loki up in an energy cage and lets him know that, yeah, he's never getting his sight back. He doesn't need anybody. I mean, I guess Loki was now validated in all of his actions. Oh, yeah. And suddenly... But suddenly, Dormammu isn't alone. The Watcher shows up, <laughs> which always means something big is happening when the Watcher shows up, for sure. Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Watcher says, don't mind me. I'm going to just observe, and everything's going to be good. That's his like go-to line that he always breaks. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> 
So the so the uh, the defend so the uh, the Av offenders are on their way <laughs> to Dormammu when they're set upon by mindless ones from the dark dimension. I like those. But guys. they're quickly yeah. Oh man, the mindless ones are always a good time. But in this case, they get shot by the combined beams of the entire Deaf Avengers, and they're quickly dispatched. Well, I mean, they're like the equivalent of like putties. They just are there yeah, to usually, show off power. Yeah, usually the the mindless ones are a big threat, but this team is ridiculously powerful, so they sort of get our quick work. Yeah. So then we flash to basically just the Earth, we, like the whole Marvel world, and we see that it's completely um, invaded by demons, and we see how all the different Marvel superheroes are responding to it. We see the Fantastic Four, Spider-Man, the Inhumans, Luke Cage... Luke Cage's like sweet sister. You see Kazu and Zabu, uh, this kind of, kind of Tarzan dude and his saber-toothed tiger. All right. That guy's awesome. Yeah. Uh, Ghost Rider, Man-Thing, and then even bad guys like Doctor Doom and Dracula and weird guys like Adam Warlock and even Thanos. God damn Thanos. <laughs> Making an early appearance in this comic until we get to like December and we start doing all the infinity stuff, which is going to be insane. But everybody's fighting these demons. They're holding them off, but it's a, they can't do it long term. So now it's a showdown between the defenders, Avengers and Dormammu. Everybody charges, but it goes real bad real quick. First Dormammu just straight up knocks out the entire defenders team, which is BS. <laughs> He's just like, you're out of this defenders, Avengers only fight which I don't appreciate. But the Avengers are like, Avengers assemble, and they charge. But then, like, half the, def- half the Defenders team, uh, Captain America, Swordsman, Vision, Black Panther, and Mantis are all caught in, like, quicksand. So it's just Scarlet Witch and Thor left. That's really all so they need, they- though. You'd think so. And so then those three charge Dormammu, and Dormammu just straight up depowers Thor and Iron Man. Dormammu is super powerful with the Eye of, with the eye of Evil. Yeah. And he just, like, turns Thor back to Donald Blake. He makes Tony Stark be just be a dude in, like, a striped shirt and, like, burgundy pants. He's making everyone boring. Oh, no. It's terrible. <laughs> and so it's just Scarlet Witch against Dormammu, which is fair, I think, considering her, her bad showing in the, or, in, in, in the opening round. Yeah, and also considering, like, what her powers are. Yeah, it's a good chance for her to sort of redeem herself a little bit. So, although first she gets hit by crazy glue rain. And all seems lost until Loki uh, frees himself from his energy cave. He turns into a mosquito and then he starts wrestling and then he turns back into Loki and starts wrestling Dormammu for control of the evil eye. As this happens, Scarlet Witch gets free and shoots a massive hex bolt, which alters reality and does crazy stuff at Dormammu. And when the hex bolt hits Dormammu, it just atomizes him. It's like his energy force. It's like Dormammu, you know, he's a big flaming skull. He's basically made out of fire. Right. So all the fire goes flying into the evil eye, and Dormammu's clothes just kind of crumple down empty. And the evil eye is powered up with Dormammu's power. But then it blasts Loki right in the face. And Loki can see again. Good times. <laughs> he's got evil but vision. He, yeah. But then he goes completely insane. Oh, no. It's like, how can you even, like, tell? You can tell because it's not, a, like uh, Barbara Norris' last issue, it's not the fun Joker kind of insane. It's just the uh, sit on the floor and scream kind of insane. Oh, uh, right, right. But this causes the demon invasion to end. And the 
problem is basically solved. <laughs> the day is saved thanks to the Scarlet Witch's retcon abilities. Basically. Or just being able to zap dudes at the right moment and that zap having consequences. <laughs> yeah. But so the Watcher basically pieces out. Um, Doctor Strange recovers the evil eye and uses its power to uh, restore Thor and Iron Man's abilities and then make everybody forget that they saw who Thor and Iron Man were to respect their secret identities, which is fair. Yeah. No, I mean, after they tried so so hard to help everyone out, you kind of give them the benefit of the doubt there. Yeah. So uh, then everybody teleports back to New York, leaving the Watcher alone. The Watcher kind of feels bad for himself a little bit. But that's the end of the war. All right. We whatever, did it. Watcher. Yay. <laughs> and that takes us to the halfway point of the show, Duncan. Oh, my goodness. Uh, so, so much done. We did the whole of the war. That was just ha- the first part. So I'm going to play a song and we'll come back for part two of this episode where we'll deal with the fallout for the war. We'll see the squadron sinister. And let's hope I don't get replaced by someone younger and hotter. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> All right. So we'll be right back. Break. Break. 